Hello, welcome back to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is episode 30, When the Disruptor is Disrupted, with Uber's Matt Wilson. So, welcome back. It's been a couple of months, um, a little bit longer than I had planned. I was running out of time for Q3, uh, and a bit nervous of getting three episodes in before the end of September, but that's what we're going to try and do. You know, today is the 22nd of September. I've just finished my first of three interviews planned for this week with, with Matt Wilson. And uh, the theme is travel. And and as very similar to the comments that Matt makes at the end of, of our conversation, um, this started by a simple realisation that since the pandemic began, you know, I miss travelling. Um, by no means was I up in the air... Uh, every week or doing long-haul travel, but I did have a regular beat of going to airports and visiting cities and and meeting some new people, which was a really positive part of my working life. And since there's been no travel for business or even, you know, um, in terms of personal reasons, then I just thought about that recently that I really do miss it. Uh, And I think it might be the same for many other people as well. So I thought travel would be a fascinating theme for Q3 and I'm very uh, happy and grateful that we have three fantastic guests for this theme. Um, As well as Matt, who I'll talk about in a few moments, we have Melissa Dalrymple, who's a partner at McKinsey & Company in the US, and we have Stephen Cassidy, who's the Senior Vice President and Managing Director of Hilton, UK and Ireland. Um, so with Matt, you know, I just had a great conversation with him. I've known him for several years from his time, first of all, working with O2. I met him at Universitas Telefonica near here in Barcelona, and he's been working with Uber for the past uh, few years. And we've worked together quite a bit in Uber, and particularly late last year when I worked on a, an EMEA roadshow and looking at stress management for a lot of the young managers within the company. So I really got to know uh, a lot of the different locations in Uber as well as the HQ for uh, Europe uh, in Amsterdam. So the conversation with Matt looked at a number of interesting themes, uh, of course on well-being, you know, looking at the issue of health and safety for passengers as well as drivers in the rides business. Uh, also well-being for employees you know one of the factors that i found in a lot of companies so far since the pandemic really took hold was that a lot of the young people in particular really did miss the office life you know office was a big part of their social life and when that was taken away then they really did suffer and there's a lot of issues about mental health that has really taken hold with a lot of younger uh, generation as we've been working from home so we talk about that we talk about the whole issue around innovation and pivoting right so pivoting of course been such a key theme for organisations large and small this year and we're looking at the increasing importance of the Uber Eats business and just how Uber and in terms of culture also you know as I said when working with them last year I really got to know a lot of the culture and in many ways their startup profile which really was very uh, present even when being a massive company you know I think this really did help them dealing with the crisis of the pandemic and so they've responded in a way that in many ways is is very familiar for them. So this is a great conversation with Matt, it's great to be back on the podcast, Um, I'll be back in a couple of days 
Uh, I'm sure with this, uh, with the next interview and a little bit more of a catch up on what's going on here at the lab. So many thanks for tuning in again. Uh, enjoy this one and I'll speak to you soon. Keep well. Bye bye for now. Ciao. Hello, Matt, and a very warm welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Are you working from home today? Hi, Stephen. Uh, thanks very much for the invite to, to come on the podcast. Um, great to chat to you again. I, I'm not working from home today, funnily enough. I'm here in uh, our office in Amsterdam. And is it quiet in the office at the moment? Are you missing a little bit of the buzz? The, there, is a, there is a lower buzz than there was 12 months ago, that's for sure. Um, we ha- we're at reduced capacity um, uh, and we're, we're at capacity of around 50%, but that typically means that we get around 150, 160 in the office every day. Well, still some, yeah, still some opportunity there to... There's, to- there's still, still enough people to talk to, have lunch with uh, in a socially distanced way, of course. Yeah, no, that's what I'm missing. And I, and I remember the buzz in the Amsterdam office. yeah been visiting in the last couple of years and and uh it's a special place well you did you did that uh, fantastic stress management session for us yeah uh, which people still talk about and still use some of the uh, the techniques and the hints tips and hacks that um uh that, that you uh you told us about that day yeah i'm sure it'd have been put to the test this year with what <laughs> they certainly <laughs> have so you know looking at what happens actually to the travel company when no one is traveling yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And um, international travel, of course, is only one element of, of travel. And um, when, when you think about Uber, we, we kind of do um, traveling or movement of people and things in two ways. There's, there's go and there's get. So to go wherever you need to go and to get what you need quickly. And something that... Um, has really been to the forefront over the, the, the past few months and since March and since COVID um, happened, is that people are definitely still eating. And we're leaning into delivery and Uber Eats in, in a really big way. Um, Eats is a huge opportunity and it, it, it's going to be bigger than uh, anyone expected. Um, but at the same time, there's very few countries around the world where the rides business stopped completely. Um, for a while, the, the nature of the what the rides business did changed um, and people were moving around less. You know, we were all locked down in countries like the UK, France, Spain, Italy, um, even uh, places in the US. And that of course affected um, uh, the movement of people, but it meant that the business changed and it meant that um, there were other things that we could do to help out um, with that situation, including working with health authorities and governments um, to move frontline workers around in a safe way as possible. And that was the kind of thing that was happening all over the world. Um, we're very, very proud of, of uh, what we did in that period of time, though, of course, the real, uh, the real heroes of that effort were the drivers and the couriers that were help- helping to keep people and things moving around. Yeah. No, I was, I was aware of the the bigger focus on Uber Eats and I guess this gets to um, some of the points that we can talk in a yeah. little bit about the nature of, of pivoting let's say or just what changes yeah, absolutely. To, to the portfolio but that one on on the rides business is interesting I mean of course like Uber is much more than just the the kind of local rides but it was I guess the service um, which kind of 
you know, really built the company and for which it is yeah, most yeah. known. But that one on, on the frontline health workers, I was going to ask about that, right? So in a way, it became even more important, these local rides for these kind of people to maintain more of a bubble as they're going to and from their kind of place of work and, and they're trying to look after people and and not infect others, right? So, um, and actually, the other one of the other interviews that we've got in this quarter is with um, is with Hilton, and they did a very similar yeah. thing, whereby their core business and their core kind of customers is really going to be hit. No one's staying at hotels, but what they can do with the hotel rooms is they can offer that up to these frontline um, health workers, right? So that must have given you guys, in a very difficult period, at least a real sense of kind of purpose within the business, right? That's exactly right. I think that sense of mission, sense of purpose, and sense of um, being able to help out in a very in a very small way um, that all those frontline workers, whether it was the NHS in England, whether it was um, hospitals and healthcare workers in in places like Hong Kong and in Spain and in India, um, all over the world, um, we were we were just trying to play um, uh, uh, any part that we could in um, making things um, that little bit easier for some of those frontline workers. So whether that was providing free meals or, um, uh, or subsidized or, or free rides to and from, uh, to and from work, um, they were all things that we found ways of uh, making those things a reality, but of course, um, keeping an eye on safety um, at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't have a crystal ball and as we are going into the autumn, mm. And especially in some countries around the world, it's kind of cold and flu season, so it could be a, a difficult um, end to what has been a, a, an interesting year, to say the least. But at least from a business sense, do, do you think the worst is now over? I mean, how dark really were those first kind of crisis-laden days in early and mid-March? Can you talk us through a little bit about Yeah, sure, sure thing. Um, pr- pretty, pretty dark. Um, and it was just a very fluid situation, and that uncertainty um, was was really the the main concern, alongside um, a constantly changing uh, environment where cities were going into lockdown, new rules and regulations were uh, coming out quite often by the hour. So there was there was that constant question in every city where we operated around the world: Can we still operate? Can we, can we operate rides? Can we operate eats? Um, if the answer to the can we question was yes, the answer then was should we, um, given the, the local context? And if we should, how do, how do we do that? Um, and that period in, as you say, early mid-March, going on into April, um, it was incredibly intensive. Since then, um, we, as we've seen uh, countries and cities open up, um, we've absolutely seen week-on-week growth as as those cities do open back up again. And uh, we've seen people starting to go back to work, people starting to move around more. And on on the right side of the side of the business, the focus really is now on on recovery, uh, and specifically on providing safe experiences for drivers, for riders, as they start to move around um, their communities again. Um, we're, we're lucky that we have a profitable rides business globally with lots of markets um, around the world. Um, so we're pretty diversified in that respect. And we, we are starting to see things come back. So, for, for example, across the company, um, our total gross bookings were down less than 10% year on year uh, for the most month of August. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that does vary by market. So the US recovery is a little bit more slow. Uh, France, countries like France and countries in Europe are doing pretty well. And uh, on the mobility side, we're, we're down about 50% overall. Um, but that said, the delivery business is up. Uh, if we just take August numbers, the delivery business was up around 130% year on year in August mm-hmm. and is, is continuing to grow. So there's definitely two sides to the story. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess it's, yeah, the, the whole portfolio nature of a lot of the different businesses that you were in, you know, the Uber Eats and a lot of these things are kind of offsetting losses in other areas. But, you know, even for me, as, as maybe more of a dispassionate view, you know, of not being an employee or a shareholder in Uber, but it's good to kind of hear that life in a way is, is getting back to, to what it was before. I think a lot of us are just looking for signals. Yeah, um, it's quite of, comforting, of isn't it? like that, you know? Yeah, ex- exactly. And what we what we saw is so there's there's always been this perception, and, and it's not just a perception; it's also reality that um, a lot of Uber use was around international uh, trips and getting uh, from airports to hotels, um, for going out on a Friday and Saturday night in the centre of cities and getting home, uh, getting home again using using Uber, and th- the use case has shifted. So it shifted from those kind of trips to uh, commuting. So where where maybe people don't want to use pu- public transport and don't want to use crowded buses or tubes, um, and they format a shift to, to Uber, or um, in the middle of the day when it was traditionally relatively quiet for us, going to see friends and family. Uh, so middle of the day, weekend, and so the use cases I think for uh, for using Uber have definitely shifted um, as as the recovery has continued. No, that's fascinating. And even just, you know, my own background in design thinking and looking at the user, um, you know, different scenarios, different um, experiences and, and things like that. And one of the other guests that we have this quarter is, uh, is Melissa Darwimple, who's a partner at McKinsey. And that's what some of the things that we're going to talk through, right? How this whole change has taken place to, to the travel experience. Looking at that, um, a little bit more more narrowly. I want to. I'm really looking forward to looking at um, aspects of culture and pivot and things like that. But since you're talking about that that changing user uh, on on the rides, what's been happening in terms of changes in terms of health and safety, both for the passenger and the driver, which of course links to, to the whole aspect of of well being and user experience. What's been going on there? Yeah, sure, sure thing. I mean, the, the first thing to say on, on rides in particular is that as governments have lifted lockdowns, as people have started to use Uber to get around again, we've, we've taken some pretty unprecedented measures to help everyone who uses our apps um, to stay safe and healthy. Um, we spent over $50 million globally to make sure that every driver and courier has access to PPE equipment, uh, cleaning, sanitizing supplies, disinfectant wipes, those kind of things that they need to be able to um, uh, operate safely um, on, on the Uber app. Um, and to date, we've purchased and, and, and have begun to distribute more than 7 million masks, um, 350,000 units of hand sanitizers, uh, wipes and cleaning sprays to drivers and couriers just in Europe. Um, we've, we've partnered with people like Unilever to provide hygiene kits for drivers and couriers um, in the UK and expanding uh, that partnership across other countries in the near future. Um, and from a more, a more practical point of view, 
to try and keep uh, people safe and healthy when they are riding or, or giving rides, we now require all, all riders and drivers to wear face masks um, or face coverings when using the app. And to make sure that that happens, we've built in different layers of accountability into the user experience um, for everyone's safety. And some of those things include um, a safety checklist for drivers and riders and couriers, um, where drivers and couriers will be asked to take a selfie um, to confirm they're wearing a mask uh, or face covering before going online. Um, they'll be uh, required to confirm that they've taken additional safety measures, um, such as uh, regularly sanitizing the car, the delivery bag, uh, making hand sanitizer available in the car um, for riders or keeping, keeping a safe distance at restaurants. So, for example, when waiting for uh, the food from a restaurant, having a specific place to wait and, and not uh, uh, risking cross-contamination, that might be outside, uh, for example. Um, but also some really basic things on, on, on rides. So riders, from a rider perspective, um, we now require riders to take safety precautions like washing their hands before getting in the car, sitting in the back seat, and open windows um, for ventilation and all of those different measures weren't weren't things that um, we kind of came up with in a vacuum they were done in consultation with organizations like the CDC and um, and the World Health Organization um, I think uh, uh, we recognize that we have um, a real shared responsibility to keep ourselves uh, and others safe and healthy um, so whether that is it um, Riders, drivers, couriers, our employees, restaurants—all um, of us. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, that's that's really um, it, it on the ride side. And then on the each side, we've introduced things like contactless delivery, um, so that um, you're you're not actually meeting the the courier on the doorstep anymore. The food is left on the doorstep, and then you get a notification in the app telling you um, that it's there. For example. No, interesting. In, in terms of, I don't know how feasible this is, but as a lot of apps are uh, emerging to do things like track and trace with mm. people who are showing symptoms and kind of things like that, is there anything that, that, that's been done in that area? Is that possible at all? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We, we, um, we have regular conversations with, uh, with governments and authorities around the world uh, on the, the track and trace apps that they are, uh, they are promoting. Um, and um, we talk about ways in which we can uh, make some of that information available um, to our, our riders and drivers and users um, in particular jurisdictions. Um, the, the other thing that we, we do, Stephen, is we have a 24-7 um, uh, law enforcement response team. Um, that team has been um, very busy during, uh, during COVID because they've, they've made themselves available uh, not just to law enforcement, but also to public health authorities. Um, and um, if we can help with those track and tracing activities in a, in a legally compliant way, then that is something that we have been doing throughout this period. Yeah, good. You know, going back to when you were talking about the experience in March and just dealing with that uncertainty, um, we've had a number of conversations over the years about how, you know, Uber is a massive company, but in many ways it was still acting like a startup, yeah. right? It was still kind of chaotic, and, and you guys were dealing with a lot of change and uncertainty on a regular basis. I mean, in, in some ways, did that make it a little bit easier 
to respond? <laughs> it, I don't know. It, it, it definitely did. I think I think we'd um, we'd almost got away from being a scrappy startup through through the IPO last year. Uh, we were becoming a, a much more mature company, and so, suddenly there was this big shock and this big crisis that. Uh, that hit us and, and many other companies and people and communities around the world. Um, but still having some of that startup DNA um, it, at Uber did, did give us the ability to, to scramble. Um, it came back again very quickly. It's continued during the recovery. And what it's meant is um, that we've been, been able to find solutions and make decisions quickly using some of that old muscle that had been developed. Um, so whether that is um, changing elements and features of the product to enable contactless delivery on on eats, um, whether it's sourcing PPE equipment in a in a way that isn't taking and this was very important in a way that isn't taking that equipment away from um, healthcare institutions, because um, uh, obviously that that takes priority. I think um, a lot of us have never worked so hard as during that period where we where you're having to scramble every day and adjust and pivot. Um, to this, as the situation changes. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, coming to that word again of of pivot, which could be the the word of twenty twenty, at least in a kind of business <laughs> context. Um, you know, we we touched on earlier about you know the, the the Uber Eats as an example is is you know making up a shortfall in perhaps other areas of the business. Any other kind of reflections within that whole domain of of, of pivoting in terms of the overall Uber portfolio? Yeah, well, eats eats is certainly the biggest one, and um, what we've seen is cons- consumer behaviour has certainly shifted um, in favour of delivery, and we we believe, and what we're seeing is that those shifts are here to stay. Uh, delivery really is the the new normal, and that is whether it's restaurants and food, whether it's groceries or other goods, um, the, the opportunities there are, are very large. Um, and we've started to um, prioritise eats um, and beyond, so things like grocery, even even more than before. Um, eats has been, it's really interesting, eats has been a lifeline for many restaurants across the world who had to close their doors to customers during the crisis, but they could still do deliveries. Um, and we took a variety of decisions and actions very early on to try and help those restaurants so a good example is we had free delivery for all small and medium size um, restaurants uh, for for a month to to try and drive demand and um, give give visibility to uh, to those local restaurants we waived things like activation fees introduced um, um, very quick onboarding to get um, restaurants up and running uh, more quickly and more easily than um, than had been previously introduced daily payouts to, to help with cash flow um, as opposed to weekly payouts. And um, um, we uh, we continue to offer a 0% commission on, on things like pickup orders. So if you decide to go and pick your order up, but you want to use the Eats app to, um, to, to make that order, um, we haven't been charging commission on, on, those, uh, on those orders. Um, a, a couple of kind of more more local examples in the UK as part of uh, our pledge to the NHS, we, we funded a hundred thousand meals for frontline staff. Um, and we, we're really now starting to accelerate. And this is, I think one of the big pivots, um, accelerating grocery and con- convenience store offerings around the world and um, have, have done deals with the likes of Carrefour in France um, and uh, some of the, uh, the petrol stations and, and other chains in the UK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. As as you say, you know, behaviours change, 
and, and have changed already markedly during this crisis and a lot of these changes will, will stick around, right? So it's actually, again, coming back to how you can be agile enough to respond, you know, as, as you did in the scrappy startup days, right? Um, I, I guess one thing, though, of perhaps more of the negative impact, I understand you were kind of forced to consolidate and, and focus and, 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 and let go of a lot of exploratory yeah. innovations that you were really picking up on in the last couple of years, right, that were still in the very kind of emergent phases. And the biggest impact, I think, a lot of that was the shedding of a lot of, of talent and, and the workforce, yeah. right? I mean, I guess that was pretty painful for you guys, right, and you personally, no? Very painful. Um, uh, and, and it really probably one of the most difficult things I've had to, to go through in, in my professional career, for sure. Um, I, I, th- I think when you, when you look back at um, kind of my time at Uber, there's been a variety of ups and downs and lots and lots of challenges. But through all of those challenges and ups and downs, one of the, one of the constant that you have is your team. Um, and it's a team that um, you, you build together with every, everyone else. Um, so to make the changes that we had to make while, while they were um, absolutely necessary in the circumstances were, were, was actually fairly heartbreaking. And um, they're not decisions that you ever want to have to make because they, they impact not only the individuals themselves, but their families um, and, and also the people in the team who aren't, who aren't leaving. And um, the, the people that, that left us, they're good people. They, they haven't done anything wrong. They're good professionals. Um, and they, they all made brilliant contributions during their time at Uber and in our team. Um, so incredibly difficult. No, that must have been tough. I mean, a couple of things that I've noted in that, look, it's, it, that would never be easy for either the employer or, mm. or, or the person who was leaving. But from what I saw on social media, that people were, that, brought, that the kind of overlasting sentiment that I saw was that they were simply very grateful for being a yes. part of, that, of Uber and having that experience and learning so much. And what we tend to see now with many companies, I'm thinking like Google and, and McKinsey, is that ex-employees yeah. are, are a valuable part of the overall community in this kind of alumni concept. And it seems that it's the same with Uber, right? That even yeah, a couple of people absolutely. have seen new job and in their title is ex-Uber, right? And they still have yeah. good yeah, That's right, on LinkedIn. for their time there, right? The way in which... Um, uh, the Uber alumni and uh, the the people still still here in the teams uh, reacted to help out um, those people who had, had been affected was was simply incredible. And um, whether that was through LinkedIn, whether it was um, giving contacts to uh, recruiters, linking people up with uh, others that they knew where there were jobs going at different companies. Um, really amazing, and I'm, I'm so glad and, and, and happy that um, the vast majority of people that were affected have now landed on their feet um, somewhere else. And that is firstly because they're great people, and they're, as you, you rightly say, they're, they're top talent. Um, but it's also because of that very supportive network and the, the strong bonds that are built by being part of uh, some of the teams here. Yeah, no, that's I mean, it's a testament to the culture. Um, that you guys have built there over over the last couple of years. Looking at um, the people who are still there, and um, I'm particularly interested in a lot of the younger 
generation. You know, when I was yeah. across EMEA uh, and, and working with different teams last year, you know, and I had a couple of these conversations and it's, it's pretty typical with, with other um, organisations as well that the young people there, it's a place where they go to work, they try and find meaning, but obviously they have very strong social bonds as well. And in some of my other conversations this year so far post-pandemic with other uh, organisations, this has been the biggest kind of pain point for young people that if you take away the office... Yes. then you take away a big part of their yeah. social life and a big part of their life. And a lot of their kind of well-being and mental health was yeah. adversely affected because of that, right? What you're seeing so far at Uber is, is, you know, you're getting back to the office slowly but surely, but how have you seen that over the last few months? Yeah, it, there, there was a period of time where that was extremely tricky. And um, what we did see was, especially in an international location like Amsterdam, you probably remember from coming to the office here last year, that it's that our, our teams here are just a big melting pot of different nationalities, people from different backgrounds, different cultures. And it's one of the strong attractions for coming to work in an environment like this is that you get to be a part of of um, of those kind of teams and meet people from all over the world. Um, but at the same time, if you take that social interaction away, and as, as you say, those strong social bonds that are built up in, in the office um, continue outside of the office, um, and if people are having to isolate, it makes it um, very, very difficult. And um, one of the things we have really focused on is how we maintain that cohesion and that contact between each other uh, um, between teams um, during that COVID period. And there was no one size fits all. There was no silver bullet. Um, very, very much focusing on increasing uh, interactions over, over tools like Zoom, increasing the amount of communication to try and maintain that cohesiveness. Um, some, of, some of the teams created, uh, especially some of, we have lots of people who are here in Amsterdam, for example, by themselves. And they're not in their home country and away from friends and family and they might not be able to travel back easily and work from um, wherever their home country might be. So we saw them, um, we saw lots of people creating their own bubbles um, with, with others at work to maintain that, that social interaction. Every so often we'd meet up in, uh, in some of the parks here, um, metre and a half away from each other, but being able to just sit and have a chat and, and a beer in the sunshine. Um, and that and that was that was great. More recently, as we started to go back to the office, um, and and as things have started to open up, we we do try and do um, social events uh, once a month as a team. And um, I I know I was doing it last night. Things like um, football and um, sports have started up again, and all of that really does help. Mm-hmm. Um, but no doubt, a really difficult time for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So what's the current policy, Matt, in terms of uh, working from home and time in the office? And I, I get, obviously, it's a very fluid situation depending on yeah. how things happen. But what, what's currently going on with you in Amsterdam, for example? Yeah, so um, ac- across Uber globally, um, what we've said is that um, people can work from home um, till uh, mid-2021. 
And that will be a personal choice um, that, that people make based on their own personal circumstances that, you know, they might be uh, parents or caregivers, uh, they might have health issues, that, um, or they might just not be comfortable coming back into the office environment yet with, um, with everything else that is uh, going on with COVID. Um, but that said, more and more offices have opened up um, across the region. Amsterdam's now been open for a couple of months. Um, like I said, we're at reduced capacity. Offices in places like I, I was on a Zoom uh, just before jumping onto uh, jumping onto the podcast, and I could see that we had uh, we had someone in the office in Lagos in Nigeria. Um, we had someone in in the office in Hong Kong, um, in in Paris, and there are slightly different rules for, for, for all of the all of the different offices. So, for example, the folk in Paris had masks on. Here in Amsterdam, that isn't a requirement. Some offices are easier to manage than others just because of the flow of the building. So here in Amsterdam, we don't have elevators, um, which I think is I think is helpful. Um, and it's very open, uh, very airy, uh, well ventilated, um, but not all of the offices are like that. So we have a great health and safety team that, that make an assessment in each each place and decide what's the safest way of, of opening up and, and letting people come back into the office. Yeah. And what about you, Matt? Have you been able to work from home productively? I know you've got you're a, you're a busy uh, parent and, and and you've got a lot going on at home. But how's that? Working yeah, so we have um, we've got three daughters: uh, Evie, Grace, and Clara, uh, three, nine, and seven. Mm-hmm. Um, they they met, they were very regular uh, 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 regular guests on my Zoom calls for a while, which was which was great. And so uh, the team have got the team have got to know uh, them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. That was that was a big thing for for a long time, where we encouraged everybody to just not worry about things like that. If there's if there's a, a screaming screaming child in the background, um, that's fine. Um, if you've got uh, noise and and things going on, absolutely fine. And it's made ev- everyone a little bit more empathetic and a little bit more understanding of each other's personal lives, which I think has definitely been good. I've loved spending more time um, with the girls uh, at home, even though even though um, they uh, they they often give me a dig about sitting in front of my laptop for for too long, because um, uh, they can they can now see what I. What I do all day, uh, which uh, when I was when I was working at home was sitting in front of a laptop, and I think they're, they're of the view that it doesn't look that exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't think they're going. Uh, in the first um, few weeks of the of the crisis, there was this kind of uh, irrelevant um, article on Wired. Uh, no, it was the Daily Mash. I don't know if you've seen. Oh yeah, Mash, yeah. But it said, um, "I always thought Tom is this fictitious couple," and it says, "I always thought Tom should be in a six-figure salary the way that he." Topped up his job, but after yeah. him in action for one day, I think he should be fired. Yeah, exactly. I think I think the magic definitely disappeared for my kids about what daddy does every day. <laughs> um, you know, they they see it's quite exciting when you push a button and the car arrives, or um, you yeah. you can order some some really tasty pizza. Um, but sitting sitting in front of a laptop, um, I don't think was uh, quite their idea of the reality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the other thing about, uh, I think, the situation that we've been in, I know you're in Barcelona, Stephen. It is very difficult living abroad um, and away from friends and family um, at, at a time like this when you don't have that ability to jump on a plane and, and go and visit and they can't 
easily come visit visit you um that is um extremely tough um but i've got i've got to say that um the there can be few better countries to have to have been in through the last nine months than than the netherlands they're pretty well organized there's a there's a lot of emphasis on on personal responsibility um but we've been able to get out and go cycling um and, and get some exercise um, which has been super and i think as time goes on that the, the thing that uh, one of the things apart from not seeing friends and family as as regularly um but i'm i'm noticing i, I used to as as you know i used to do a lot of travel um with work and um i've i've now started to develop that wanderlust again mm. um and i'm really missing going and spending time with with our teams on the ground in the different countries around the world so i'm i'm, I'm crossing fingers that at some point in the next uh, 12 18 24 months that we can get at least a little bit of, of that back albeit that uh, I imagine that the way in which we uh, work and the way in which we travel and, and interact with each other in the future will will have changed um, pretty materially as a result of the, the last nine months. Yeah, no doubt. No, and, I, and me too. I completely share those sentiments, but I'm, I'm glad also that that you've had some positive experiences there in, in the Netherlands. Just to finish us off here... Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think your future views were, were incorporated in that. So I think, yeah, it's looking at hoping and wishing for the best in the next 12, 18 months, no, and just and just working and, and trying to get through it. Anything else in that? I mean, are you optimistic or just... Yeah, I, I, grind I think it out? You, you, always, you always need to be realistic about the current situation that you're in and adapt and flex to, to that, but maintain that optimism for the future. Uh, maintain the optimism that uh, human beings will will figure this one out and uh, figure out either a way to to live with um, the virus or figure out a solution to it. Um, and, and, I, and when I say optimism, I don't mean that in a mindless way. Kind of everything's going to be okay, and, and kind of tell tell yourself uh, lies to get you through. But in a way that that looks for solutions and looks of ways of making the best of the current situation and making that situation more tolerable for fam- our families, for for friends, but also our teams at, at work. Well said. Well said. And just a very final one. I don't know how this is going to throw you. One word to describe twenty twenty so far. Lively. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Fantastic. Matt, thanks so much for your time today uh, on the podcast, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again, and hopefully face-to-face. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Cheers, Stephen. Thank you.